This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. I'm in a cleaning out my closet kind of mood. <laughs> and <laughs> Shag, I know sometimes we get into such moods and, you know, sometimes we don't. But today we are in one. I am particularly in one. And... For once, for the fucking first time in over a year, I'm going to revisit the actual theme of this podcast, which is to try to get me over my fear of horror films. And I thought we might hark back intellectually. You don't have to go back and listen to it because even though our first episode is very good, we're even better now. I still stand by our first episode, which I think is good. But essentially, there were three big reasons that I was scared of horror films, right? One of them is jump scares. One of them is existential dread. And one of them is blood. And what I realized recently in a cleaning out my closet kind of frame of mind is these are all excuses. (laughs) And I thought what I would do is take a bit of a no excuses sort of approach today. So let's just work through each of these excuses. Totally. Let's do this. Absolutely. I just, as as definitely one of my best friends, I, I feel like... I just need to be like, you don't have to be so hard on yourself. You're doing great. You're allowed to be scared of horror films. But anyway, look, look let, let's go. Let's go through these excuses. What's going on? Uh, jump scares. I think everyone's scared of jump scares. I think people who are fans of horror films are also scared of jump scares. And what that means is that being scared of jump scares is not a valid reason to not watch horror films. That's a good point. It's like spicy food. You lean into the spice. You lean into the jump scare. I'm there. It's the roller coaster moment of the horror film. Ooh, as I think is one of the sounds you've made at some stage <laughs> earlier in this podcast. <laughs> so the second one, existential dread. Well, okay, if I'm scared of that, that is broadly scary. But I could get just as much dread having the Wikipedia plot synopsis read to me. So... I think arguably I've progressed in my experience there and perhaps that is the greatest solution Spooko's offered that I'm now familiar with some quite upsetting ideas to the extent where I still think about our film Charcuterie where our protagonist is going to rip the jaw off a victim and shove some stuff down her throat. So I think to the extent 2021 Peach is better than uh, 2019 Peach, I think existential dread, we're sort of on the path to solving and then blood, right? I faint with blood. Well, I think a lot of people have trouble with blood. And also it's a physiological response that I've now got strategies for. And either I'll faint or I won't faint. And hopefully I don't. And so what that means, Shag, is that I thought today what we would do is just to really cut to the quick, to really get to what we're at with this podcast. I've Googled uh, scariest scenes on YouTube. <laughs> And I've been taken to a four-minute scene, uh, which is on YouTube, that I thought you and I might just watch right now. Paige, I'm into it. It's a four-minute excerpt from a film called The Eye. I'm getting a little bit nervous right now uh, going into it. 
But Shag, let's clean our fucking closet out. Let's have no excuses. Are you down to join your very, very scared co-host, Peach, in watching a four-minute scene labeled the scariest scene ever from the eye? Peach, I've never been more excited in my life. I'm at zero, zero, zero. Let me know when you want to hit play together. Let's do this. Let's go watch the scariest scene ever. All right. Okay. I'm at point zero, zero, zero. I'm just getting a bit of adrenaline going. All right, one, two, three, play. Now. Got a lady at the elevator. There's a lady at the elevator, yes, but yep. this is also the scariest scene ever, according to the And Nicole on YouTube. I don't know yep. what their creds are. 8,000 subscribers. Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got 800 subscribers on Coffee in a Case Notes. I'm about it. Oh, okay, we're looking into an elevator with a guy just staring into the corner. Very Blair Witch style. It's pretty scary. We're an eighth of the way through the scariest scene ever, so I'm, I'm feeling bullish. She, according to the CCTV, there's no one in the elevator, but she can very ah, clearly see. I missed that. There's a man staring into the corner. Oh, oh, oh. Someone running into the lift. Hey, just a young couple running in. They haven't seen the ghost. They're getting in the lift with the ghost. Yeah, they're having a great time. They're holding hands. They're in love. Very innocent. Have you seen this one, Shay? No, never. Okay. They look at the protagonist like, why are you looking at us? We're just a young couple in love in this The sound elevator. design is so aggressive. Is that typical for horror movies? Like the clunk, clunk, clunk. Discordant music. Yeah. Jump scares in the audio is important. Yeah, okay. Okay, so we're now checking again. CCTV says this lift's empty. Well, I think, Shag, I'm sensing a jump scare. Ooh. We're looking in. CCTV says no one in the lift. Oh, it's black for some reason. That's not very scary. Oh, it's, okay, we've got in. Oh, we're pushing the button. Don't worry, everything's fine. Here comes a jump scare, doesn't it? Is this the jump scare? So we're going up to level 15. We're looking at the uh, the lights above the lift now. We're at level one. Can we just game it straight? Oh, what have we seen? Our eyebrows are opening. We're coming into focus. Ah. Uh, ah. Yes, yeah, sound design. So it's the same old man, but with a very loud drum bang. Peach, I'm just halfway through. This definitely isn't the scariest scene of all time so far. Yeah. Ooh, he's going to have a scary looking face. I'm actually not looking forward to that. Hmm. Oof. Only two minutes to go. Come on then, Peach. She's a bit spooked. We're at level six now. Remember, Gosh, she's trying slowest, to get to level slowest 15. Lift ever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's part of the ghost's effect. Like, Peach, I haven't been in the building for a while, but if you remember, when you're working in an office, lifts are actually pretty slow. Oh, he's hovering off the ground. Ooh, that's pretty scary. Just to hover behind her. Level nine. Oh, he doesn't have yeah, a spooky he's moving, face. He's moving. He's this ghost is that is hovering right behind her now. I'm just gonna get a jump scare. Is what I feel. I'm about to get a goal. Oh, now I'm gonna get you. Oh, he's staying around. Does he have a scary face? Man, he's just he's got just a normal face. Blade. Oh, oh! oh, half his face is bashed in. Well, I feel like that should be relevant. I feel like. I'm not scared by that because uh, we're still at a level level eleven. Yeah, <laughs> gosh, it is the slowest lift ever. Level thirteen. My gosh. Okay, like Shag, is this all just build up to a jump scare? Oh, he's, he's coming closer. closer. He's hovering closer. Level fourteen. He's almost there. Good. And she, she gets out of the lift. The She's lift. running down. She's running down level fifteen. Yep. I don't know what. I, I'm guessing this is an apartment building. Yeah, it is. It's her apartment building. She's got a key in the door. If you're running from a ghost, locks aren't. Yeah, you're not going to be super safe in your home. 
But doesn't this prove the point of locks? That, sorry, of ghosts? That it's like, he hasn't actually done anything, this guy. No. Look, I'm at elevated heart rate. I'm sort of freaking out. There's only 20 seconds to go, though, and I haven't seen anything scary. What, what scary young boy in the, in the stairwell. Oh, yeah, here it comes. Ooh, scary young child singing. Oh, and committing suicide. Okay, on an ad for Shudder. Fuck <laughs> off, Shudder. Yeah, okay. Well, it's like, Shag, so I survived that, um, having gone through my excuses. Uh, congratulations me, I guess. That didn't seem that scary. Peach, I'm, I'm really happy for you. I, I do want to say, and I, I said it halfway through, and I will say mm. conclusively that definitely wasn't the scariest scene I've seen. And I haven't seen all horror films mm. thus that's not the scariest horror scene of all time, right? Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. But good on you for searching that out and experiencing it. And I think what you discovered there is you were like, you were waiting for a jump scare, but it's the amalgamation of all the different things coming together that makes mm. you tense and makes you feel a bit scared. And so thus, yes, the Wikipedia has helped you yes. by being exposed to these, like, these dreadful ideas, but what you still miss in the retellings of these uh, uh, of these films mm. and why I still want to eventually get you to the place where you get excited about watching them mm. is the fact that nothing will ever take the place of the experience of all those techniques that horror film directors have at their disposal put together to create an experience designed to skate. I think that is so, so accurate and true. And I think sitting here with a friend half recording a podcast and watching an excerpt, you know, edited out of what the filmmakers intended is watering down the potential impact of this thing, as we've sort of discussed previously. And I still pat my I'm still down to pat myself on the back, so I'll take that. That's fine. Um, but, uh, look, I'm still down to continue being hard on myself as well. So come on, Poich. Let's do it again. <laughs> so there's, there's a there's a... There's a phenomenon that happens in horror. I think it happens in a lot of popular culture at the moment anyway, mm. but definitely happens in horror and it happens in rap in the same way that you mentioned Eminem's cleaning out my closet at the start of this, right? <laughs> Is like, this you know, glorifying violence? Is this the trend? Yeah, that okay. was the reference you were drawing on. Now, mm. Eminem is not the only rapper to have gotten to a point in his career to be like, oh, fuck, I want to relive the glory days. How can I do it? I'm going to write a sequel album to my most critically successful album. Ugh. So he's now written the Marshall Mathers album too, I think. Yeah. I, I have issues with albums that are sequels to other albums. It, <laughs> it, it's, it's not really how music works. It's how, it's how money works and it's how business works. <laughs> but it's not really how music works. And, you know, and I'm not, I don't mean to just sing like Eminem. Mm. Lots of rappers do it. Lots of lots of artists do it. Yeah, the Carter Three, you know, great fun. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Bent Three, no, sorry, not so much. Sorry. Go go go. Sorry. So, because Halloween is next week, yes. For the next couple of weeks, I wanted to focus on a series of films yes. that go back to the original 1978 version yes. but are also a remake but are also a retcon in that weird way that only horror films are. Yes! Today, we are doing the 11th film 
in the Halloween franchise, but it's actually the sequel according to one timeline to the original Halloween, and it's confusingly also called Halloween. Yes. Testing one, two, three. We're on. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. <laughs> Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? The hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. The bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? Like you take an iconic horror villain and then you add a revenge plot. It sort of feels, I mean, it feels like when, I mean, if we continue the Carter three line, when Wheezy was hopping on all those like pop rock songs in the late, in the late two thousands. That you just add two popular things and put them together and off we go. I'm so about Laurie Strode coming back to kill Michael. Ugh. Well, well, look, in the same way that Lil Wayne bought a guitar and a skateboard, mm. tried to go pop rock, like ironically Machine now, Gun Kelly style. Go, yeah, yeah. Are, are massive, right? Yeah. But when he did it, everybody was like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Lil Wayne's like, I need to go back to when people loved me. He makes another Carter album, yes. right? In the same way, this is what Halloween has essentially done. In 2018, when this film came out, you couldn't rely on just the name anymore. The internet makes that impossible. Rotten Tomatoes makes that impossible. People know if something's shit, right? And the Halloween franchise has absolutely lost its way. This is the 11th film in the Halloween franchise. Now, depending on who you ask, there are seven different Halloween timelines. As in like, of all the different films that have been made, right? So the original sequel is set on the same night in a hospital when, you know, Laurie... Laurie goes to the hospital. Then we've got Return of the Witch. So then we've got Season of the Witch as the third one. We've got Season of the Witch, which exists on its own timeline. Yes, okay. Because it is about witches. Michael Myers doesn't feature in it at all. In the oh, fourth sorry, and, and fifth... Halloween's fictional in that film, if I recall. Actually and Halloween's it. fictional. Yes. So, so they count Halloween 3 as its own timeline, which is hilarious. Yep. Halloween 4 and 5, I think, or at least 4, one of them tries to explain Michael Myers as... 
the victim of a pagan curse put on him by a cult, and it's the thorn curse where a young boy from each tribe must be inflicted with it, which turns them evil, and goes into how they're trying to, like, a clone a new Michael. Anyway, obviously, everyone's like, well, that's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> then the noughties come along, and there's a bunch of new metal rap rock remakes, like Halloween H2O, yes. uh, which had nothing to do with water. It was just the 20th anniversary of Al- Halloween. Yeah, so that was, that was what? That's got to be 1998, so... Papa Roach, Limp Bizkit era, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, totally right, totally right. Then after that, and we, we haven't even gotten to this new this new line of Halloween films, yes. Rob Zombie decided to remake them in the late noughties, so 2007, yeah. 2009. He remade the first two films. Unsurprisingly, Rob Zombie couldn't crack the magic that critics would love. <laughs> John um, he's not yeah, John Carpenter, he's, Rob he's, Zombie. He's just not. I'm sorry. So along came a writing duo, and in fact, there's a few writers on this, but the people I want to talk to are David Gordon Green and mm. Danny McBride. Now, do you know the name Danny McBride? I feel like I know both of those names. So Danny McBride is the actor and creator of shows like Eastbound and Down, in which he's like oh, no. a washed up baseball star. Sorry. Uh, the Righteous Gemstones, sorry. in which... Oh, okay, so they're great shows. <laughs> I'm sorry you're so divorced from popular culture. <laughs> David Gordon Green is also the writer and director behind a whole bunch of films, including most notably the stoner comedy with Seth Rogen, Pineapple Express. So these sort of HBO-loved comedy writers okay. come along and decide to create an entirely new timeline for Halloween that starts after the first film. So in this new timeline that we're talking about, the only film of the, the ten films that have preceded it was the very first one. Amazing. And this has the same name as the very first one. And it has the same name. So this is the sequel to Halloween, Halloween. And it's the third film in this series called Halloween. Called Halloween. Because Rob Zombie's first film is also called Halloween. Imagine if we called this podcast Fussy Eater. That'd be so (laughs) so confusing. (laughs) The horror film Fussy Eater, the the new one. (laughs) All right. So so you've kind of got the context. Mm. With all that in mind... I'm actually super into this new timeline because I think this film is fantastic and I'm very excited about the rest of the trilogy, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. I think the third one's called Ends. It's supposed to come out next year. Halloween Kills is out now and it's just out now in time for Halloween. But before we get there, Mm. we've got to start from the beginning of this new timeline, which is actually the 11th film in the Halloween series, but it's also called Halloween. So today, Peach, we're doing Halloween from 2018. You ready to go? I've already seen the scariest scene on YouTube, so I'm ready for anything. Let's fucking go. (laughs) My closet is spick and span. All right. Okay. Okay. So on October 29, 2018. Yes. A couple of days. Yeah, I'm with you. And they make it super clear. Like, it's it's quite well structured, this film, where it'll be like, October 29, sort of. And in the same font of the original Halloween film. Sick. The soundtrack sounded John Carpentry as well. It sounded not identical, but like a strong tribute. Yeah, so John Carpenter did uh, support on the soundtrack. Sick. There's also Cody Carpenter, which I think is his son. Again, mm. nepotism is a big problem in Hollywood. There's not much we can do about it. <laughs> not a fan, but... Well, like there's, like there's a big sub-trend on TikTok of like artists who are children of rich people and so sort of what privilege buys you is the opportunity to spend time working on your art. So it's like I'm not saying they're bad artists, 
but I am saying that the privilege they had was having rich parents that allowed them to focus solely on their art. So, you, you know, you get your Tupac example of, of coming from a middle-class family, of like coming out with all the tools ready to go in a way that, that others who might have had a more rough and ready background would not have had. But, but to that, the mm. greatest art comes from struggle. And I was reminded of this recently watching an episode of Celebrity British Bake Off. Yes, yes. In which a great, one of a great the example for great art and struggle. Yeah, 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 good. In which one of the contestants was a participant in the reality show Made in Chelsea, which is about the super rich kids of the super rich in London whose lives are just hanging out in fancy London bars, doing fun stuff, living in amazing apartments, blah, blah, blah. He is the grandson of the man who invented digestives. I didn't think that was, I didn't think people knew what things were, but there you go. It's crazy, right? So I guess he's sitting on the digestives fortune, whatever that may be. But what I noticed was Mm. when he got to a point in Great British Bake Off where the pressure started to build. Ah, yes. And he crumbled much like a digestive, uh, I imagine. and And, you know, things didn't go well to plan. He didn't have the tools to deal with pressure in the same way someone who's actually been through anything difficult in their life would. And I think it's the same for these artists where it's like, sure, you've spent a thousand hours to become an amazing craftsman, but you don't have the shitty experiences in your life to actually create art that connects on a deeper level. So you would never have expected a Gary Vaynerchuk criticism from me, but this is a really interesting critique of him, right? So he would often say something similar of like, you know that like that that Nietzsche line of like I wish upon my friend fire and flame so that so that they may emerge stronger, and that's Vaynerchuk's whole thing of like I would not you know I I sort of don't don't feel good about my children coming from wealth because they're not going to have the same benefits I have of 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 having to struggle through etc. And so what this current criticism of ideas like that is that I'm, I find quite attractive is that the reason rich people love Gary Vaynerchuk is that he gives them an excuse to feel oppressed. Because it's like, yeah, it's so tough, like, coming from a privileged family. It is tougher than coming from a non-privileged family. <laughs> I would have had so much more resilience and stuff. And so, it, like, the sort of, uh, yeah, ideas he comes out to share, the dialogues that he encourages, are like, yeah, man, must be tough coming from such a privileged family. And as we learn from the Great British Bake Off, Shag, maybe it is. There's there's no one reason why people believe disinformation, but, you know, definitely one of the causes for anti-vax ideas being so popular among, you know, privileged white places like mm. Byron Bay is the fact that it gives them a reason to feel like they're oppressed. <sighs> like, we know that for a fact. And that's why they keep using the term, like, segregation. It's... There's an old Kendrick line where he's like, you're jealous of my struggle. And it's like, of course they are. Yeah. They want to they wanna say we've been segregated but not actually feel segregated yep. in the way where it's like they can still vote, they can still own property, mm-hmm. you know, they can still drink. Well, they can't drink. Maybe they can't drink <laughs> the same thing. But do you see what I mean? Yeah. Do you see what it. I mean? It's not like none of it's real, but it's a feeling of oppression that they so desperately want. So anyway, mm. with that in mind, I don't think, Cody Carpenter's scores will ever be as good as, or ever have the same effect <laughs> yep. as John Carpenter's because they'll have a picture-perfect resemblance of yep. it. It just it just won't have that same effect. That won't have that yeah. same, you know, like, you know, from what I understand, it's like he had to, like, the first cut of Halloween in 1978, they showed to the studio. They weren't, that's not scary because it didn't have the music. He went home and just created that score 
on a shitty keyboard, came back, and the suits were like, now we... And this is back in the day this when like suits Bruce were Bruce Springsteen writing Dancing <laughs> in the Dark. <laughs> and it's like Prince writing When Doves Cry. Like, you know, it's like... It's all like the night before when Doves Cry was supposed to come out, taking the bass out and being like, it doesn't need bass, and changing music forever. It's okay. it's it's the, it's those moments, right? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Cody Carpenter has never had to go through that. It's not his fault. We're not blaming him for it. But, uh, We're like, just saying. I wonder whether he has the maturity then. Like he's like, hey, look, I'm not my dad. And I haven't been through the same struggles. I'm going to try to give you the then best carpenter magic I can. don't score a film called Halloween. Yeah, if you're not going to be yeah. your dad, don't score yeah, it. You know enough. what I mean? That's it's... fine. You can be your own person, but be your own person. Look, I'm about it. I'm there. Like You know that I practice in an area of law similar to the one my dad practiced in prominently for a number of years, for, you know, for a few decades. So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I feel I'm the Cody Carpenter of this motherfucker. It's good. All right. Okay. So we're one line into this synopsis. Oh, I'm enjoying it a lot already. <laughs> do, like, do we get an explanation for the chessboard floor in the mental institution? Yes. Yeah, so this is it. So oh, this sick. is the start, right? So. So on October 29, 2018, Michael Myers, who has been institutionalized mm. at Smith's Grove Psychiatric Hospital. Now, this film was made in 2018, but this psychiatric hospital is a proper 80s crazy home yeah. where all the people are like, they, everyone is like that, right? Like there's there's one like guy who's just got an umbrella out in, in the open and he's hugging it like it's a toy. There's one, I, uh, there's one sort of uh, like lady with a shaved head squinting and staring at the sun and just being like just just uh, not really saying any words but making creepy noises imagine imagine directing that scene of like guys okay just everyone do something nuts just everyone (laughs) (laughs) whatever you got (laughs) have you seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest (laughs) now keep in mind as well because this is 2018 (sighs) and this is these are hbo you know vetted writers this film is essentially quite woke all right so He's in this place. He's been jailed for forty years following his killing spree in Haddonfield. Crazy in America. He doesn't have the. He doesn't have a life sentence. He doesn't have the death penalty. Mm. He's just well. Oh no, maybe he doesn't have a life sentence, but he doesn't have the death penalty. Um, he's been there for forty years. He's been prepared to be transferred to a maximum security prison. Now this is where things get really funny. So two true crime podcasters, Aaron Corey and Dana Haynes, visit the hospital to speak to Michael. To essentially create a podcast about what he did 40 years ago. Yeah, nice. That's 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 a really cool plot point, though. So they go out into the middle of this, like, checkerboard floor mm. where all the different crazy people have to stand on their own square in the checkerboard floor. And they try to speak to Michael. And what's cool is Michael's not wearing a mask, but you never see his face. You just sort of see him from behind. Sick. He's a really tall man. He's starting to grey. He's got You can see, like, a bit of a beard. But it's, the beard's also kind of well... It's not like a long beard. Mm. He's clearly shaving or someone's shaving for him. And so they go into the middle of this place and they try to talk to him. They've got their mics out. They're like, this is the scoop. He doesn't say anything. And then Aaron has the trump card, pulls out the original mask that Michael wore Ooh. from the first film. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I've got your mask. Do you want to see it? Is there anything you want to say about it? At this point all the crazy people start going super crazy. So start like screaming and shaking and vibrating and whatever, but Michael doesn't move. It builds up to a crescendo and then we hit the title sequence and it says Halloween. Oh, great opening. Yes, loved it. The following day, as he's being transferred, the bus crashes and patients begin to wander into the road. The accident causes a father and son to stop to see what's going on because they just see some dude wandering, not Michael, some other dude just wandering past. 
Uh, Michael murders both of them, and mm. we do see the son, who's like 12, get murdered by being his head slammed into the dash, which I'm not sure how I feel about seeing, you know, even a 12, like that's still a kid in my, my mind, and uh, seeing like yeah. kids getting murdered. <laughs> it's still I'm a kid just, in the, yeah, like it's still a kid, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not super cool with that. Um, and I just re-watched very quickly the film in two speed, just to double check, because I was like, did that happen? And it's like, yeah, it happens. It's yeah. So he murders them takes their truck and returns to Haddonfield where it all began in the first film and not the subsequent nine. Do we, like it, <laughs> do we get an insight into his motivation of like, oh, I don't know any other place. I've been in jail. So, Well, well remember in the first film, he was obsessed with, with, his, right. with his relative, Laurie. And there's the psychologist, Dr. Loomis, in the first film who's like, because he went to jail and then broke out and went, then went to try That's and kill right. Laurie. And the psychologist is like, I've, I've, I've spoken to so many inmates in my time and he's just pure evil. Yes. And that's the only explanation we get. So in Haddonfield, Laurie Strode lives in fear of Michael. So she is basically Sarah Connor. Yes. I so get it. she I'm lives sorry. in this like compound with cameras everywhere. She's got a million guns. She does gun practice on like stuff. Like she's fucking kick ass, right? Sick. And she rarely leaves this fortified house that's become her castle. She has a strained relationship with her daughter, Karen, whom we find out the state took away from her at age 12 because the podcast has come to speak to her. Alison, Laurie's granddaughter, tries to maintain a relationship with her granddaughter. So... There's a trilogy of Strodes, hey. but there's there's Laurie, Karen, and her granddaughter, Alison, yeah, who all feature in this film. Yes. Anyway, the podcasters show up. They try to get like a good scoop. Then they're like, hey, we spoke to Michael and we reckon he didn't speak to us, but we reckon he'll speak to you. And she's basically like, what the fuck? You spoke to Michael. Get the fuck out. Sick. Anyway. Okay. So on the morning of October 31st, Michael sees Aaron and Dana visiting his sister Judith's grave. He follows them to a gas station where he kills them both, as well as a mechanic for his coveralls. Now, this death, like, uh, it's iconic, weird. iconic Michael Myers. Well, but yeah, but it's also like, it, I, I don't want to say it's satisfying for him to kill the true crime podcasters. Like, I don't want to say that, but there's something funny about how. So many podcasts have benefited off true crimes and, mm. you know, people's misery. Mm. And it's, it's, I, I sound like such an asshole. It's not satisfying, but there's something kind of funny about this. There's, there's some poetic justice yeah. to him killing them. And the film's aware of that also, but also this scene is gross because she goes into the bathroom while uh, he We saw this in the, the preview, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, hey, Aaron, is that you? And then he just drops his teeth. Aaron's over teeth. the top yeah, of yeah. the bathroom stall. And then goes in and kills him. Magic. Okay, so Deputy Frank Hawkins, who was in the original film, who arrested Michael in 1978, realises what's happened, realises who this is, oh and tries to convince Sheriff Barker that Michael is dangerous after learning that he's escaped. Nobody, everybody's just kind of like, ah, oh, it's something that happened in 1978, don't worry. But there's true crime podcasts about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's only a few core people who truly believe that Michael is something more than human. So Laurie also learns of Michael's escape while watching the news and attempts to warn Karen, 
But Karen, dis- Karen, her daughter, Sick. not her granddaughter. Great name for someone dismissive. Yeah, yeah, I'm about it. Yeah, and dismisses her concerns, urges Laurie to move on with her life. <laughs> Which I'm like, fucking hell, mom. Are we yeah. doing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are we doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. So later that night, Allison finds her boyfriend Cameron. Now remember, this is Halloween, so Mm. there's parties happening. There's people on the street. This small town is like pumping, and I think what's cool about that is, of course, someone like Michael Myers is going to be able to walk freely, even carrying a kitchen knife, his you know favorite weapon, because he's just going to look like anyone else out and about on Halloween. Mm. So yeah, so later that night, Allison finds her boyfriend Cameron cheating on her at a costume party and leaves with his friend Oscar. Meanwhile, while babysitting a boy named Julian, Allison's best friend Vicky and her boyfriend Dave are attacked by Michael. Dave is killed and Vicky sacrifices herself to protect the kid she was babysitting, Julian, who escapes and the police are called. Deputy Hawkins and Laurie overhear the incident on the radio and go over to the house. So they're also tracking this. They know something's going to happen. So this deputy and Laurie are all trying to help, even if the police aren't going to take it seriously. And so Laurie leaves her, like she's not agoraphobic or anything. She's not leaves her castle. Yeah, yeah. So she leaves her castle. So so Laurie sees Michael for the first time in 40 years. Uh, She shoots Michael in the shoulder before he flees. The police Sick. Take- so what she sees him straight away and is like, bang. Yeah, look, this, uh, yeah. There, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of, like, there's a bit of cat and mouse here. Sick. Also, this film is mostly built up. We're more than halfway through. Sick. I'm having the best time. The police take Laurie, Karen, and her husband, Ray, to Laurie's home for protection, and a squad car remains outside the residence. Deputy Hawkins promises to find Allison and bring her to be with the family. At this point, Karen and Ray are like, what the fuck is this house? They discover that Laurie has created this awesome safe room under the kitchen, which is like, you know, it's, it's like battery, like button operated. That's like, opens this door down and then they go down there and it's basically like a prepper's place where they could live for months with like all sorts of food and weapons and stuff. They're ready to go. And that's where they are waiting for Michael. So, you know, we're set up for a great confrontation. Yeah, sick. Now, Dr. Ranbir Satane... Michael's psychiatrist and a former student of Dr. Loomis. So mm. the student of Dr. Loomis, who's the new psychiatrist for Michael, mm. persuades Sheriff Barker to help in the hunt for Michael. Meanwhile, as Allison and Oscar walk home from the party, another thing to show that this new wave of woke films where it's like, mm. if you're like, if, if you're somebody who, is, you know, does something pretty fucked, like in this case, sexual assault. So at this point, Oscar, who is the friend of Allison's boyfriend, yeah, oh. sort of forces himself on her. Oh. She pushes him away and she's like, fuck you. Like, he's pretending he's like, I'll save you and I'll look after you. But he sort of forces it and she's like, fuck you. At this point, Michael kills Oscar and we're kind of like, as an audience, we're like, yeah, fuck you. Okay, so, so, so can I just linger on this point? Is this almost at Freddy level of we're like, how's he going to kill him? So if I killed the slightly annoying true crime podcasters. Yeah. We've killed the rapist, and are we like, oh, who else is going to do something bad and is going to deserve their death? Well, it's there's a, there's a little bit of that to it, absolutely. In fact, there's one more death that's very much like this. Yes, yeah. but anyway, so he kills Oscar by, I don't quite know how he does it, but there, there's a fence with like sharp points at the top. I don't I don't know fence or terminology, mm. but he essentially 
impales him on this fence. So some of the spikes are coming up through his mouth, some of them are coming up <laughs> through his body. And it's, it's pretty great. And you see the blood trickle down the rest of the fence. Sick. And Allison sees this and she's like, oh, fuck. This guy that my grandma's been talking about all these years is true and he's coming after me. I've got a run. Sick. Hawkins and Satain arrive just in time to rescue Allison. Deputy Hawkins then tries to kill Michael, but Dr. Satain, who has become obsessed with Michael's enigmatic motivation, yes. attacks and leaves Hawkins for dead. It is revealed that he orchestrated Michael's escape to study him in the wild. Remember how it's like oh, nice. the bus just overturned? How did it happen? Well, the psychologist did it because he wanted to see what would happen if he let Michael loose just before Halloween. I find that somewhat satisfying. So we're not sitting Super here being satisfying. like, you know, it's the machinations of the universe. We're like, oh, no, it is this dude who is obsessed with me. Yeah, I, like, I like that. Now, this is where it gets fucked up, right? Mm. So Dr. Satane takes the squad car of the police officer he's almost killed mm. and then locks up the unconscious Allison and Michael in the backseat. So they are just to see what's going to happen. They're both unconscious. She wakes up and she's like, what the fuck? Anyway. So Dr. Satane heads towards Laurie's home. Michael wakes up and kills Satane while Allison flees from the scene. Michael then ambushes and kills two police officers that are outside Laurie's home. We, we, we mentioned there that he kills Dr. Satane. This is the other satisfying death where he pulls him out of the car. He's on the ground. Dr. Satane is like, Michael, please just say something. Tell me. Tell me anything. And then Michael just stomps on his head and crushes his whole head. Sick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's awesome. gross. And it's the grossest moment in the whole film. Sick. That's very satisfying as well. So when Laurie's son-in-law, Ray, goes outside to greet who he believes are the two officers to ask if they had located Allison, he actually finds a police car with one of the police officer's heads hollowed out and a candle stuck in it so it looks like a jack-o'-lantern. And he's like, what the fuck? And then Michael strangles him to death. That would be very time-consuming, not to step behind the logic of the movie, to like find a candle, make sure it stays lit, to, like to hollow out someone's head. Oof. So Laurie manages to get Karen downstairs into the safe room mm. before she engages in a showdown with Michael. And it's a really cool showdown where we actually don't know too much about this house until she 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 knows Michael's in the house because Michael strangled the son-in-law. Sick. So she's got a shotgun and she's walking around the house. Her daughter is safely in the safe room underground. Sick. And so she's walking around the house and trying to find Michael. And every time she clears a room, she presses a button and the room locks down. Oh. So just in case he's hiding in there, or if he's not, he, basically she's either trapping him or funneling yep. him to a choke point. I just feel like this is a very satisfying hunter. Hunted becomes the hunter sort of sort of moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she eventually corners him in the kitchen where he discovers that he can open the safe room downstairs Oh. And Karen is down there holding a gun and she sees him and he's about to walk down and she's like, she's like, I can't do it. And she's like, she's like, I can't do it. I can't shoot him. And she's like, gotcha. And then she's been pretending and it's all been a trap and she shoots him in the shoulder. Right? Hang on, right? hang on, hang on. Right? What, 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 what? No, sorry, sorry. Take me in. So sorry, the grand, like the granddaughter feigns 
Not the granddaughter, so the daughter. So the mother of Alison. Yeah, okay, yes. Because Alison has run off into the woods at this point, right? Yep. Whereas Michael has gone into the house yes, where yes, the yes. daughter and, you know, Laurie, the original victim, Laurie is chasing her, is yeah. basically cornering him in the kitchen. She's led him to the kitchen yes. where he thinks he's found his way down to the safe room to kill Karen. And Karen's pretending like she's she doesn't know oh, what yeah. she's oh, doing no, and is too oh, scared no. to shoot yeah. him. And then she's like, gotcha, shoots him in the shoulder. He falls down. He's got both shoulders. He's been shot in both shoulders now. Now, yeah, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hang on. Yeah, no, not the shoulder. He's shot in the jaw. So, like, oh, a God. proper, like, it's like a bit, like, it's an amazing shot, right? And once he gets shot, once he gets shot, he staggers backwards. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to juggle my memory yeah. and my excitement with this <laughs> with Wikipedia synopsis, synopsis yeah, yeah. which is terribly written. So, he stumbles backwards, and then Laurie appears out of the shadows. And she's like, happy Halloween, Michael. And then stabs him with a kitchen knife. Oh, very satisfying. Between the two of them, they knock him down the stairs and they escape up. So their plan is to trap him in the safe room. Allison then appears and with their help, they make, because he then is, he's holding onto Karen's leg. So Allison He's been then, stabbed and shot many yeah, times. Yeah, but he's Michael Myers, right? Like he's, okay. he's he's somehow superhumanly powerful. Okay. Maybe because of a pagan curse. <laughs> but Allison then grabs the kitchen knife, his favorite weapon, and stabs him. And so between the three of them, he's been shot, he's been stabbed a couple of times. He falls back down the stairs. At this point, we realize it was never a safe room, but it was always a trap. So Laurie presses a button. And this grate goes over the stairs. So they can still see Michael down there, but he can't escape. Yes. Then she presses a button and she activates flamethrowers all through the basement that sets the entire thing alight. And the three girls, the three strodes from three different generations, watch Michael, who just stands there, slowly burn to death. Yes, yes, yes. Laurie says goodbye to Michael before she begins to faint and lets her daughter and granddaughter quickly hitchhike a passerby vehicle to take her to the hospital. A final shot of the burning basement is shown with Michael nowhere in sight. In a post credit scene, Michael's breathing is heard, indicating that he has survived. Brilliant. Loved it. Loved it. What if Laurie Strode was Sarah Connor? Such a great, like, tweet-length synopsis for a horror film. I would watch that. I would watch that right now. Now that I've seen the scariest shit ever, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'm prepared. And next week we get to find out what happens next in Halloween Kills. You! Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?